0: Good morning on this Friday, in the fourth week of Easter. about eight hours east of here, if you follow Interstate 90 into southeastern Montana, you come upon these windswept, grass-covered rolling hills, the plains, northern plains, and you enter into the Little Bighorn Valley, and that's of course the famed site of the Great Battle in 1876 that featured the 7th Cavalry Regiment, George Custer and the demise of that unit. And, you know, so many works in history have been written about that moment in time. One particular author, historian, who lived in the late 19th, early 20th, 20th century, James Curtis, focused his analysis and study on the aboriginal scouts who were assigned to Custer's regiment, because there were many. They had aracalas and crow scouts, that had been brought into the employ of the U.S. Army to help guide Custer and his, his regiment as they made their way around that region in pursuit of the Lakota Sioux. One particular individual, a man of note, I hope I say his name right. This is my best understanding of how you pronounce it in Crow. Marita Te Deo I hope I get that right. It means white buffalo who turns around. We'll just call him white buffalo. Well, White Buffalo and his uh, colleagues in the employ of Custer's regiment are out surveying the area in advance of the main unit, and they come to the encampment on June 24th, because the battle takes place June 25-26 in 1876. Well, on June 24th, White Buffalo, Red Cloud, some others are there, and they are briefing uh, Major Reno and Custer on what's going on and they leave the briefing because they are dismissed. They are dismissed with their insight and what they had said basically was, General, it's not a small village you think is down there in that river basin. Given the trampling of the grass, given the animal droppings that we can see, given the cloudiness, the muddy of the river, that's a large force. That's probably in the hundreds, if not thousands, of horse-mounted warriors are in this region or in this area, right, this immediate area. So I wouldn't go down there tomorrow. I wouldn't. Don't go down there. Well, they leave the meeting, the briefing, and it's noted by and Curtis that they change out of their army-issued blue wool uniforms back into their aboriginal clothing. And they're asked, why are you doing that? And they said, well, we choose to die as warriors, not soldiers, but die we will tomorrow if we go down there. And is exactly what happened. Now, interestingly enough, White Buffalo would survive that battle, probably because he was wearing aboriginal clothing, who knows. But he survived, and the point of note and the link, if you will, to today's readings are he's speaking a truth that the arrogance of Custer could not receive. Custer knew better. He was a celebrated officer of fame from the Civil War. He had been advanced and accelerated in promotion. He had an insight into ways, he thought, tactics of the aboriginals. But he completely misunderstood and miscalculated the situation he was entering into, and it led to his demise and demise of 276 men. So. He made a horrible mistake because he thought he knew better. Thought he knew better. And his formation put him in a scenario where he thought he knew better. The connection to our Gospel and our reading from Acts today is this. Paul, as we just heard beautifully read, Paul is in Antioch of Pisidia. We know that there are two Antiochs. One is in Syria and one is in Cilicia to the northwest. That's where they are today. They're in, in Antioch of Pisidia. And where does he go? Is he out on the extreme of town? Is that what Luke tells us? No, he goes to the synagogue. That's where he goes. He goes right into the synagogue with that collection of esteemed elders and he speaks to them. And what he does is recount for them again, the history of Israel. He's recounting for them the history of Israel, which they know through their study of scripture. That's what they read in the synagogue is the Old Testament. So Paul is connecting with them on something that's a shared knowledge, shared understanding. And he describes then the the truth of Christ. But Christ is that one. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of God given to us through our ancestors. And And he describes what happens. He describes how the Jewish leadership demanded the crucifixion of Christ back in Jerusalem, and that it happened. But God raised him up, Paul says, from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are his witnesses now before the people. So like White Buffalo, I'm telling you something, and it's true, take heed. I'm telling you something, it's true, take heed. That's what Paul so emphatically is trying to convey to his brothers in the ancestral Jewish faith. That's what he's trying to tell them that. In John's Gospel, beautifully so then, we have the beginning of the 14th chapter, and our great patron Thomas invites that response from our Lord, Lord, how, how, can, we, how can we know the way? How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? And our Lord in re- reply to Thomas's plea gives us that message, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we look at that word truth, we go back a couple of chapters in John's Gospel, John 8 now, we have Jesus surrounded by a group of Jews who who was uh, Jesus' principal uh, ministry target with the Jewish people, and Jesus says this to them in respect to their ancestry and the faith and their understanding, and Jesus says, if you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So today, perhaps, we take this application. We have this historic event here in the continental U.S. in the outworking of our nation's history and something that actually happened, and we have the insight of a man and others who were there that said to an individual he thought he knew better, I think you're going to make a mistake, and it will cost you your life. And he made a mistake and it cost him the life of himself and many others. And here we have from our testimony from Christ saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am this. And to the world, for 20 centuries, the Christian world says, well, here's the truth, world, you can deny that, you can know better, you can be smarter, you can have more insight. And oftentimes, it's a person's formation that, like like an esteemed general, their formation brings them to a point of arrogance where they know better. It can't be true. Look at all those bad people in the church. How could the church be true? Look at all those mean Christians. Christianity must not be true. That's, That's foolishness. You've been misled. You're misguided. You don't understand. You can't read the hillsides. You can't see the facts before you as the evidence before you. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, here's what we as Catholics have to do, is we come to that moment on bended knee. The Greek word for that is neteteo, neteteo. It's a beautiful word, neteteo. Kind of sounds like crow, doesn't it, neteteo. On bended knee, we approach our Lord in humility because it's not my insight, my truth, my wisdom, my brilliance. No, I, I am foolishness, I am nothing. I am nothing. It's Christ's truth within me by his grace, not my merits, that enables me to pick up this beautiful work, receive its truth, receive the real presence of our Lord in the sacramental life of the church, and and live that truth out as best I can, imperfectly, but as best I can. That's what's before us. So when we approach the world and we observe things in our world, and there are lots of things to observe that seem disordered, or we encounter people who are pursuing disordered adventures or making, making decisions that are going to have significant impact, consequential impact on their life that, are, that is meaningful, harmful. It's not important that my truth be conveyed to them. I don't have any truth. The only truth I should have is cruciformity, and that's Jesus Christ within me. And if I can share that in humility, and if I can share that with compassion, then I do the best I can to do that. I do that with great intent each day. I I wake with that intent. I retire to bed in the evening in evaluation of that intent so that I live out a truth that's not mine, not because I think it's true. Doesn't matter what I think. The church tells me that it's true and the church is based on the truth of Scripture, reality of Christ. So our goal as we go forward into this day, look forward to this fifth Sunday of Easter, is to remind ourselves that there are obvious truths in the world, but the most, the most complete objective truth is the life of Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he did die, that he did rise, and he lives now and seeks us to be with him in this dwelling of many places, in his eternal presence with our Creator God, Father, that we would be with him and return to him, a soul breathed into life, return to him. We go forward standing in a truth that is Jesus Christ, and we share that truth as compassionately and as consistently as we can. God bless.